Hey, this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. My family used to have this tradition that we would go see a movie every Christmas Eve, and it was one of my favorite things. Every year we rotated between my siblings on who got to pick the movie, my siblings and my cousins. And I particularly remember one year when my older brother chose Star Trek Nemesis, even though he knew I was terrified of aliens. That's probably why he chose it, let's be real. So I spent that night wide awake out of fear instead of out of excitement for Santa, as was the norm. As 2018 comes to a close and we all start taking stock of the year, here's a box office movie fact for you. People like and will pay for movie starring women. I know, it's a shocker. According to a study conducted by Creative Artist Agency and Shift7, which is a tech company, it analyzed the 350 top-grossing films released in the period from January 2014 to December 2017. Turns out movies with a woman credited in the lead role made more money worldwide. Which, if you're wondering, these movies comprised of 105 out of the 350 total examined. Also of note, movies that passed the Bechdel test, which is, in case you didn't know, um, one, more than one female character, two, these female characters have a conversation, and three, not about men, uh, these movies that passed the test made more money than the movies that didn't pass the test. And 40% of the movies studied did not pass, by the way. Every single movie that passed the $1 billion goalpost passed the Bechdel test. It goes to show that phrase we commonly hear, that people won't pay to see movies with women in the lead roles, isn't true. Still, though, we have a lot more work to do when it comes to inclusion. In fact, women in lead roles and LGBTQ representation went down in 2017. In this classic episode, we take a look at the evolution of the female action hero from highly sexualized to still probably sexualized, but maybe not as much. Enjoy. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And... The Hunger Games sequel, Catching Fire, is soon coming out. And we have action heroines on the brain as a result. We do, yeah. I mean, thanks to the awesome Jennifer Lawrence, who I just kind of always wish that I were best friends with her. It got us thinking about some other amazing women who've been in film and kind of where the female action hero or action character fits into the genre. Yeah, so we've got a lot to talk about. And we got to first kick things off with Pam Greer because even though she was largely in a lot of black exploitation films, sex exploitation films, uh, she is Hollywood's first female action star. Right. She kicks so much butt in those movies from the 70s. And and she knows it because in her words from Pam Greer, she says, I'm going to make movies the way I see fit. No threatless, mindless women, no dumb situations. I know I have to go slow, but I'm going to sneak up on them little by little and then I'm going to create a monster. This girl isn't just another body for their cameras. Whew. And I mean, she she has a great body. She's an incredibly beautiful woman. She is, you know... 
when you talk about Pam Greer or when you read about Pam Greer, it almost can't be separated from what she looks like, which is actually the same for actually most other female action stars, period. Yeah, and in Ricky Schubert's The Female Hero in Action Cinema from 1970 to 2006, she refers to Greer, first of all, as the godmother of action films and traces the timeline of Pam Greer's ascent. And she started out in 1971 in uh, a women in prison film. This would be one of those sexploitation kinds of films, uh, really, that just depict women in scant clothing who are all in prison together and all sorts of hijinks, sexual and otherwise, ensue. And she did a couple of these kinds of films and made such a big impression that in 1973, just a couple years later, she stars in Coffee. And the tagline of that is, she's the godmother of them all, the baddest one-chick hit squad that ever hit town. And while, yes, obviously, Coffee, as you, you might assume from the title, is absolutely a black exploitation film, it was nevertheless hailed by Hollywood because we have this female action lead. I love taglines on these movie posters because they go on for several paragraphs, it seems like. Just describing exactly how kick-buttish these women are. Anyway, so after she starred in Coffee, um, that made her the number one action lead for women. And that led to 1974's Foxy Brown and 1975's Sheba Baby. And then, I mean, she didn't quit. In 1997, she was in the movie Jackie Brown. Yeah, that Quentin Tarantino film kind of revived her image as that iconic female action lead. And in these films, even though there's a lot of problematic stuff going on in terms of racial stereotypes and uh, misogyny and clearly the, the exploitation of Pam Greer's amazing body, um, there's a lot of play going on in terms of anxiety over masculinity and male sexual performance in Greer's films. One thing that uh, Schubert points out is how often she ends up shooting, kicking, or punching men in the genitals. And she later says, Pam Greer does, uh, that, quote, we were making fun of men, making fun of us, and saying, back at ya. Yeah, a lot of it circles around to the woman, the female lead, Pam Greer, kind of emasculating the male characters out of revenge. Usually a lot of these are revenge flicks. So either her her sister or her father or someone in her family has been harmed in some way, usually by like a pimp or a drug dealer. And so she's this kind of quote unquote crazy woman out for revenge on all of these men. And uh, in a Guardian interview, she said that as a strong woman, I was seen as a threat. There was a fear that women would mimic me in real life. I remember certain people saying, oh, she's taking our jobs. She's castrating men. As far as I was concerned, I thought we don't need to walk behind you. We should walk beside you. And so, yeah, it's just like this, this powerful woman who's more than powerful, she's dangerous, was seen as a threat on screen and off. Yeah, and even though it might seem like Pam Greer would be the victim of the camera lens in this sense, uh, be, being in these exploitative films, but in a lot of ways there were always strands of empowerment that were intertwined with this exploitation. And one thing that's pointed out, I think this was in an article from In the Week by Mar Monica Bartziel, talking about how race was never downplayed, nor her 
independence. But at the same time, her sexuality and her body, obviously, were always at the forefront of these films. And those two issues of sexuality and the female body is something that is still being talked about decades later in terms of where are women in action films or more where are female action leads because there are plenty of women in action films who are damsels in distress being saved right i mean there is a lot of back and forth about the positives and negatives of highlighting the body but we'll get to that in a little bit and right now let's look at why greer's career is so significant as that powerhouse action character Sociologist Catherine Gilpatrick examined female action heroes and gender stereotypes in a 2010 study. She looked at 157 heroines in films released from 1991 to 2005. So that's excluding Greer's uh, early films, as well as characters like Ripley from Aliens. Yeah, but to get an idea of just how, how big of a deal it is that back in the 70s, Greer was an action lead... Gilpatrick found that only 7% of those 157 heroines were what we might consider a true action heroine, like a Laura Croft or a Coffee or a Sheba Baby, somebody like that. And that's 17 years after the reign of Pam Greer. And meanwhile, 58.6% of these 157 women were depicted as submissive to the male hero still. They're maintaining those feminine stereotypes. And 30% died by the end of the film. 47% of those who died were actually evil women characters who died for their crimes in some sort of twisted fashion. Oh, so so we're just getting killed off? Yeah, they're like, ooh, that woman is stepping outside her bounds. We better just kill her off at the end of the movie. And, I mean, uh, Gilpatrick does point out that this violent female character, whether she's good or bad, is kind of redefining how female action characters are appearing on screen for better or for worse. Yeah, um, but she also points out how the average VFAC, the violent female action character, doesn't look very much at all, though, like Greer's characters. Often they're young, they're white, highly educated, and unmarried. And that jumped out to me in researching this because... Now, when we're going to talk about the more contemporary female action leads that we think of, it is mostly a roster of white women. And Mm -hmm. so I wonder why it had to maybe be Pam Greer in a black exploitation kind of film who was able to pave the way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And why and why African-American characters like her have not been able to really continue yeah it was like at first we, we, we were only Hollywood was only comfortable with seeing you know a black woman mm-hmm. being so violent and aggressive right but now they outside of Halle Berry and Zoe Saldana and a few others they're few and far between no I, I really think that's an interesting point and I wonder this is complete just theory I wonder if it just has anything to do with directors or movie makers fearing that their movies will be seen as like black exploitation movies or sex exploitation movies that Pam Greer starred and maybe they don't want their movie to come off like that. Well, I think it, it seems like the conversation right now is so focused on just getting women in these action lead roles that it's still a very 
normative sort of conversation of just like get anyone in there okay let's put Angelina Jolie let's put you know I mean most of the the A-list stars a majority of them are going to be the the white women Mm -hmm. and so it's like we haven't even evolved to the point to where people are like oh well and now let's talk about diversity yeah which is unfortunate why, why we can't do both at the same time, I don't know. Um, but let, let's go back a little bit to the 1980s because that is when you start to see this evolution of a tougher, more muscularized woman action star. Yeah, of course. We've already mentioned Sigourney Weaver in Alien. She, ha- she delivers that excellent, excellent line uh, that it contains a curse word, so I'm not going to say it. But uh, we've also got Linda Hamilton, who's also amazing in Terminator 2. She is so ripped and bad A. Um, and then there's Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, we you know we talk about a lack of diversity, and, and Whoopi Goldberg is, is typically a comedy star. She stars as a tough cop in Fatal Beauty, not exactly like some hard-hitting action film, but she's still there as like a non-romantic you know, action star. Yeah, and in this next one, I have not seen this film, Caroline, but I know that you're a big fan of it, Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis. I love it. I actually haven't seen it in a long time, and, and reading all about action stars made me want to read it again. And, and Sam Jackson, actually, he co-starred with Gina Davis, and there was an interview with him and Scarlett Johansson and Joss Whedon about this topic of women action stars. And he kind of took over the interview and talked about Long Kiss Goodnight a lot, uh, saying that it was one of the best uh, female-led action movies out there, and he was proud to be a part of it. So Gina Davis gets real tough? She gets real tough. Real tough. Like, she, she, uh, she's a B.A. Uh, kind of woman. A BAMF? A, yeah. She's a BAMF. Um, and it, that's great, though, because Gina Davis also is one of the, the top champions right now that you hear about advocating for better representation of women in Hollywood. Right. Like she was in uh, Misrepresentation. Have you seen that? She's in that documentary and talking a lot at length about the importance of the depiction and the perception of women on film, you know, in society as well. And she's she's very admirable. I, I love her. Well, and I'm sure that this issue of women in action roles and not just being the damsel in distress is part of that conversation. Because um, as we move forward in our Hollywood evolution, we do have people like Angelina Jolie who are in a lot of action roles. You know, she was in Salt. She's in Tomb Raider, of course. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You have Uma Thurman as Beatrix Kiddo and Kill Bill. She might be one of my top five favorite yeah. action leads. Yeah, oh, she was she was great in that movie. I mean, she's so, like, single-minded and incredible. Um, one movie I didn't see, uh, I did watch the cartoon on MTV years ago, uh, despite how dark it is, is Eon Flux, Charlize Theron. Oh, and apparently that was quite a box office tank. Yeah, it got panned. So I can't, I have no idea whether it's any good or not. And then uh, Numi Rapace, I'm sorry if I just butchered her name. She was in Prometheus with Charlize Theron, but she was also the original girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah, and then followed up uh, with Rooney Mara, who did the American version. And obviously there are lots of names and movies that we can continue tossing out. But circling back around to The Hunger Games and Katniss Everdeen, played by Jennifer Lawrence, when the first movie came out, Hollywood observers were particularly excited about this heroine 
Right. Yeah. Rolling Stones, Peter Travers called her a female warrior worth cheering. I mean, she she is based on a character in the books, which have about 24 million copies in print. She's a character who is on her own. She's not fighting for love. You know, she's she's fighting for survival to protect her family. You know, she is she kicks a lot of but and she is independent and strong while doing so. Yeah, and there's also commentary on how she doesn't have any special powers. She's not a superhero. She it's just her against the world using her smarts, using obviously her bow and arrow skills, um, using her incredible running and jumping capabilities. Um, and it it doesn't even though there are semi-romantic uh, plot lines in the books, it's not like a Twilight scenario right. when you're either Team Edward or Team Jacob. Right. And let's face it, Bella's not the most exciting of action heroes. Right. Someone call her an empty vessel. Um, people thought that this movie, they were like, oh, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how much money this movie takes in. I bet it takes in like 60 million or something like that, and which would be incredible. But the reality blew the predictions out of the water. The movie on opening weekend took in $155 million. Yeah, that was way more than expected. I think it actually made a box office record. And the fact that The Hunger Games was made on only $70 million, which is pennies in a bucket by mm-hmm. Hollywood standards. And so for that reason, this success surprised people even more. And a- another person we should say who was really excited about Katniss was sociologist Catherine Gilpatrick, who did that 2010 study on female action characters in film. And she said, yes, she's a true action heroine. She wants to protect her family. She's smart. She's heroic, but she's not played up as sexy. And she said that her character undermines stereotypes of female dependency. So Katniss, I feel like, revived this conversation mm-hmm. of women in these action leads. Although she is, she plays a younger character. She, I believe she's 16. But still. Right. Especially in light of the fact that in her study, Gilpatrick said that, you know, my research shows that you know, the majority, the the large majority of women action characters are not empowering characters. You know, they're they're kind of like the sideshow, the sexy sh- sideshow. And so I think, yeah, she was very excited about Katniss, just as a lot of other people are. I mean, she is a refreshing departure from that Twilight discussion of what boy is, you know, the lead going to fall in love with. Yeah, and some people have said that... The Hunger Games is an example of a surge in female-led action films. There is the movie Haywire starring the MMA fighter Gina Carano, although kind of like Aeon Flux, Haywire did not do too well at the box office for reasons, though, that we'll get into in a little bit. Um, there's also Searsha Ronan, who plays a teenage assassin in Hannah, and she was also a star of the science fiction film The Host. Oh. Uh, Haley Steinfeld, I'm a huge fan of her. She led the charge for revenge in True Grit, which, if you haven't seen it, what are you waiting for? I love that movie. And I read the book, and the movie's so good. The movie is very good. Oh, and now now she'll be starring in Ender's Game as well. And then we have little Chloe Moretz, who is an Atlanta native, Kristen. She, I didn't know that. Yeah, she stars in Kick-Ass 1 and 2 and the movie Let Me In. 
And on the animated front, we can't forget Merida of Disney Pixar's Brave, which was their very first female-led animated movie, which also did very well Mm -hmm. at the box office, kind of in a Hunger Games sort of way where people were like, are are folks going to want to go see this? Will children want to see a plucky young girl leading the charge? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they will, especially with all that crazy red hair that I love. Exactly. So all of this, it's interesting that we're talking about this surge now in 2013, because the way that people are talking about it and talking about Katniss, you would think that this is the first time we've ever been around the block with female action characters and and female-led action movies. But we were having pretty much this exact same conversation back in 2001 when, according to the Washington Monthly, action chicks were taking over. Ah, action chicks. <laughs> what, a, what a descriptive phrase. Um, but it's true, though. This was when we had Laura Croft hitting the box office and the massive success of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And critics were saying in response to this that, oh, you know what? Beefcake is played out and reliance on brute force is passe. Female action stars are where it's at. And yet a decade later, we're having this conversation all over again. Right. And I mean, it, it was the same. It was almost the exact same thing. There were there were conversations of, you know, femininity versus masculinity, strength versus brains, you know, all of that kind of stuff, whether whether it's OK for a woman to kick a man's butt on screen, things like that. Or in talking about how perhaps a female action lead doesn't have to perform action in the same way that a guy does. She doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily have to knock out some giant ogre. She might use her brains more or use her bow and arrow a la Cadmus or something like that. Um, And in talking about why this is coming up more today, Jeff Gomez, who's the founder of the marketing company Starlight Runner, says that it's a culmination and convergence of trends that have been building, i.e., the growing knowledge that women are making the decisions in regard to entertainment choices. Which I feel like we've been doing that for a while. Well, I think that's interesting. I, I, I wish that there was a little bit more information from, from Mr. Gomez. Uh, I think that was in a Huffington Post story. Because, I mean, what's the difference now? Like, were m- women not allowed to say what movies they wanted to go to back when, you know, G.I. Jane or Long Kiss Goodnight were in theaters? Like, I, I do... I wonder what that means. Well, a lot of times when we talk about action movies, we're talking about blockbusters and movies with huge budgets. And a lot of times those movies draw more male audiences. Yeah. But it might just be because it's, you know, St- Sylvester Stallone on screen. But you can't even understand. <laughs> it's true. Um. Anyway, well, another another reason for the upsurge could be that You know, people have, I say people, I mean like movie makers, filmmakers, have seen the incredible popularity of films, film series, really, like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, and they're trying to find a new way to tell the story. How do we take this successful formula and tweak it? 
And so maybe, you know, let's let's stick a woman in there instead. Well, and speaking of let's stick a woman in there instead, um, there's also this idea that, hey, maybe younger viewers are more into the idea of going to see an action movie, regardless of whether it's starring Jennifer Lawrence or give me a name of a strong man. Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Thank you. And uh, Hunger Games producer Nina Jacobson was talking about this, about how viewers under 25 are more open to the idea that a character's identity isn't defined by gender alone. And that's, I mean, that's a refreshing thing. I hope that's true. Yeah, absolutely. But there's also the legacy issue, too, in which, you know, filmmakers and production houses want to make money, obviously, off their films. And if female-led action movies in the past tank like an Aeon Flux, like a Haywire, then when someone comes back around pitching an idea for a female-led action film, the funders say, eh, that didn't work so well in the past. Right. So it's not necessarily direct, like, hatred of women, per se. It's it's more of like, well, if it's not going to make money, I don't care who the star is. Yeah, I mean, it's executives making executive-type business decisions, which is why the success, again, of a Hunger Games-like movie is so huge for the future of women in action. Absolutely. And I mean, I do wonder, like, I mean, I know I I, I kind of speak poorly of the Twilight series, um, but I wonder if that did help usher in Katniss. Oh, I'm sure it did because both of them are based on book series and both of those Twilight and Hunger Games series skewed female in their readership. Mm-hmm. And those were, you know, the, the people who did end up buying the bulk of the tickets. Yeah. Although there were still plenty of dudes who filled those theater seats as well. But in considering, though, why more female action leads on the big screen is important other than just basic parody. It's worthwhile considering what we really want from this as an audience, Mm -hmm. because some could say, well, aren't you just glorifying violence or, you know, these women are often, you know, very sexy and their bodies are always on display. So what is it about the female action hero that's so great for audiences? Yeah, um, Inku Kang wrote for IndieWire in June 2012 that these female action stars need to be positive role models. That's the that's the role that they should serve. Because, she says, we've been waiting a long time to see more female protagonists distinguished by their heart, courage, and smarts instead of their cup size. But she does admit that these female stars should not be considered less of a role model because their conventional attractiveness is on display. These bodies show strength. And she even mentions Michelle Obama because she said, you know, it it can't be a bad thing to show a female head basically on a strong muscular body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean though, that they have to model male behavior as Alyssa Rosenberg points out at Think Progress. um, She says that male action heroes are heightened versions of the ideals and traits to which men are supposed to aspire. Success with getting women in action leads does not mean just putting, jamming women into those same kinds of aspirational characters. Right. She talks about how it, if they're going to model some behavior that they should, 
filmmakers, directors, whoever should acknowledge the differences in strength and the different strengths that exist between men and women. For instance, brains, tact, and maternal nature in women versus strength, bravery, and protectiveness in men. I don't disagree. However, I just... Is it maternal? The word maternal that kind of raises your eyebrow? Not necessarily, but why, you know, I think strength, bravery, and protectiveness are sure not gender-specific traits. Agreed. You know, and and, and yes, I, I get what, what they're saying as far as, you know, you have like a Thor, a Chris Hemsworth, you know, fighting and hammering and looking gorgeous when he does it. You know, and, and so it's not that a woman can't do that. I, they're arguing that I guess women should be, you know, use their. Well, it's like uh, if, if speaking of Thor, OK, this comes up in conversations about the Avengers and Scarlett Johansson's role as a black widow in that where, yes, she's in fight scenes mm-hmm. and she definitely knows how to take some people down with her brute strength. But her brute strength is not in a Thor kind of way. Mm-hmm. Her number one contribution to the group. She's able to outsmart people and use maybe a broader array of talents. Yeah, I mean, because Rosenberg does cite Sigourney Weaver's uh, portrayal of that maternal instinct. You know, it's Sigourney Weaver mother versus alien mother going head to head and how, how that maternal force propels her to defeat the aliens. And so, yeah, no, I get it. But I, I think that we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't stick people in those strict, strict roles. Well, and even uh, Katie Sackoff, who is a Battlestar Galactica alum, she plays Starbuck, I believe. Um, she says, yeah, just you don't just make them dudes. She was talking to Vanity Fair about this. And she said, I'm tired of women playing action heroes like men because they aren't men, but sometimes they are written like men. I want women who play these roles to realize that you don't have to take away the vulnerability and the femininity. Those things just make the character stronger because you take the sensibilities of being a woman with the physical training of a man. You'd be unstoppable. So maybe instead of like saying that women have to use their feminine wiles and men have to use their brute strength, we we can switch it up a little. Exactly. And everybody gets a piece of of both of those things. Well, and speaking of the feminine wiles issue, what about the sexiness? This comes up a lot. I mean, starting with the conversation about, you know, Pam Greer, where sex was always at the forefront of everything. And even it was like before she could punch a guy in his crotch, she would first probably have to... Uh, Fane at least starting to have sex with him or something like that. Right. And actually, that's kind of what Katie Waldman from Slate wrote. Uh, She said that women use sex appeal as a weapon far more than male characters do and that they tend to reach a point in their missions where they must feign a desire for a powerful male to get what they want. But she asks, if female action heroes excel in marshalling that sexuality, does that take away from their athletic or mental feats? Well, and also as I was reading this, Two words came into my mind. James Bond. Oh, yeah. That's all the guy does Yeah, is trick women into bed and then <laughs> you're shuddering with delight. Daniel though. Craig looks so good in a suit. Ugh. But in every 007 film, the plot line eventually involves him getting in bed with someone. And, that, and the interesting thing is that we think of James Bond, you know, being more of a, a guy type of flick where, you know, his sexiness, though, is integral 
to the whole franchise. Well, sure, his his sexiness, but also, I mean, James Bond isn't doing a lot of hand-to-hand combat. True. I mean, he's not, he doesn't have a Thor hammer. He's not running around punching people in the face necessarily. He's he's being sneaky. He's, mm-hmm. he's using his brains and his technological knowledge uh, and his his uh, his sex appeal to yeah. to win these missions. Well, Scarlett Johansson in that conversation you referenced earlier with Joss Whedon and some other folks was talking about how she feels like, as someone who has played this role before, that there is too much focus on sexuality. She, she had a funny quote saying, "I think they're always fighting in a bra. So while it might be exciting for a still photo." It's ridiculous. Yeah. But I have a feeling she might have also been exasperated at this point because (laughs) on the press tour for the Avengers, the number of questions that she got about losing weight for the role, whether she was wearing underwear in her cat suit, all of these absurd questions that, of course, none of the other guys were asked. And she called the journalists out for it, which is great. But... Yeah, I, I can imagine why she thinks something like that. She should just probably hold up cue cards at some point and be like, here, just write this down. Yeah. This is this is my, my stance on that. Um, but, you know, I mean, say what you will, that sex appeal helps draw quite, quite a large audience. And the thing is, at least according to this 2003 thesis that we found um, from the University of Washington, male viewers are drawn to female action lead movies because in part of the sexiness, the sex factor, whereas women tend to watch action films to see complex female characters in complex roles. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a huge action movie fan. I don't really go out of my way to watch action movies, but in, in more thinking type of action movies, I, I do like to see the type of women characters that they have. Versus like a romantic comedy. Sure. Well, and the thing is, plenty of men, like we've said, are going to see these movies and not to make it sound like this episode is sponsored by Hunger Games, you know, but but if Jennifer Lawrence would like to come on the podcast, this is her invitation. Please. Um, but 39% of the opening weekend audience at the Hunger Games was men. 39%. Right. And they made up 43% of the opening weekend audience for Brave. Although I wonder if that was dads taking little girls. Either way. Either way. It's, it's a good thing. And they made up almost half, 47% of the Snow White and the Huntsman audience. But that might tie in, too, to the fact that it was starring Kristen Stewart and Charlize Theron, two very attractive women. And that might tie into that sex appeal aspect of this whole conversation. And I'm trying to think of the previews too. I did not see the movie, but I remember the previews being very like action oriented, not, Mm -hmm. not any sort of like somebody falling in love with someone else oriented. And so I wonder if that was more of a draw too. Well, and something that's come up too is a likability issue. We're circling back around to Haywire, which was the action movie starring MMA fighter, Gina Carano, which tanked at the box office and Jeff Gomez, again, speaking to Huffington Post, thinks that it has to do with the trailer showing a relatively unknown actress beating up well-liked male co-stars, Channing Tatum and Ewan McGregor. Yeah, and he says that this makes her threatening to men and unsympathetic to women. I 
I didn't see that movie because, well, I just so rarely go to the theater. I don't know how many times in this podcast I'm going to say, I haven't seen that movie. Um, but I, I thought the trailer looked really cool. I, I don't, I mean, how is it any different than, uh, what's her name? Um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo beating up guys in that movie. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is not so much an issue of not wanting to see Channing Tatum getting his face beaten in by a woman, but the issue of it's hard to probably make a big box office draw starring someone unknown, Sure. period. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that likability ties into this idea coming from the Washington Monthly that men will watch these movies, but only to a point. Uh, they wrote that women are still only allowed to be violent within certain parameters largely prescribed by what men are willing to tolerate. And while what they will tolerate on screen has changed, the writer says, women action characters' violence is more sterilized and their appearance is less messy. But then to give the final word to Joss Whedon, for whom we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer to thank, he says that actually guys really, really, really do want to see women in action on screen. Right, yeah. He he admits that there's a glass ceiling cinematically. Um, he says there's not a major studio that is out there that is trying to make a movie about a female superhero. They'll say, this is guy stuff. They'll say, women don't want to see action or men don't want to see women. And I'm like, men don't want to see women? 90% of us really do. Well, it reminds me of The Heat that came out this summer, which was starring Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. And it did huge numbers at the box office. And it was the first of its kind as a softer sort of action film. But it was a buddy cop movie starring two women mm -hmm. and people were initially kind of like with the preview of hunger Games, saying well is this actually going to draw any any money oh yeah it does because we get excited about these kinds of things we get excited about seeing women in new kinds of roles and it's going back to what we said earlier about uh you know legacy about when something is successful before, it's more likely to be recreated, made again, more money put invested into it. And so somebody like Melissa McCarthy, who's known to be hilarious, and she was in Bridesmaids, which was hugely successful also, people are more willing to be like, okay, she's not a face that I would normally associate with this type of movie, but, you know, she's starring with Sandra Bullock, who's, you know, an incredible actress. Let me go see it. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that we haven't circled back around to is the diversity factor. Right. Because, again, it's mostly white actress after white actress for the most part. But in terms of women in action films, it does seem like it's not just a deja vu of 2001 that there is actually progress being made in Hollywood. And I think Hunger Games is partially to thank for that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, best of luck to Jennifer Lawrence and her crew. I hope you bring in so many millions of dollars. With catching fire. Yeah, so, so that they'll just keep making more amazing roles for amazing female heroine action character ladies. <laughs> just exactly what you said, Caroline. Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> so let us know your thoughts, though. If you're, you're an action fan listening, we want to hear from you. MomStuffAdiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also message us on Facebook and tweet us at MomStuffPodcast. And we've got a couple of letters to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. And now back to our letters. 
So Alana wrote us with a story of trying to not be sexy on Halloween. She writes, I just won a costume contest for Halloween and I feel pretty cool. I dressed up as a Victorian era lion tamer. I'm really into authentic costumes, so I put this together from a lot of different places on Etsy. I didn't just buy a typical sexy lion tamer costume. I'm not very comfortable being viewed as sexy, but I do want everyone to think that I looked really good. I recognize it's a fine line, but I thought I did it very well with this costume. I was pretty much fully covered. I felt really pretty in my costume and totally comfortable. I was no sexy lion tamer. I was a badass lion tamer. But on my way to the bar where the contest was being held, a guy dressed up like Top Gun pilot told me, you sure are falling out of that, huh? I was totally stunned. I'm an hourglass shape with a big hips and a large bust and a tiny waist. Obviously, the corset emphasizes, but I'd worked so hard to make sure there was no cleavage. I don't know what I'm supposed to do about the way my poor body is shaped. I had no way to try to be sexy, but on that street corner, this random guy made me feel like I had purchased a sexy lion tamer costume just for him. Was he hitting on me? Was that the intent? Who knows? I was feeling pretty sucky about my decision to wear a corset. I just wanted to look pretty, not sexy. When I got to the bar, I won the costume contest, and that made me feel way better. But now I'm really thinking about next year and what a girl with my body type is allowed to do. Thoughts? Uh, well, no. I think, I think Alana, that you need to embrace your curvy body shape. Your body is not poor. Your body is wonderful. And you're allowed to do whatever you want. Yeah. And a guy making comments to you on the street corner is what is out of line. Right. Not you and your awesome award-winning Victorian lion tamer costume, which does sound quite cool. That does, and and if you want to send us a picture, I would love to see it. Yeah, and uh, by the way, if you if there's an app for catcalling, it's called Hollaback, and download it, and it can give you some tips on how to deal with dudes like that. Sounds good to me. This is a Facebook message from Mandy. Uh, she's responding to our Crazy Women podcast and said that it really resonated with her. She says, it really irks me when people label someone else as crazy, and it absolutely seems to happen way more to women and girls than it ever does to men and boys. I didn't really fit in in the small town I grew up in, and one of the mean things people said about me was that I was crazy or a psycho. I didn't do anything to deserve such harsh treatment, and the pain of that still sticks with me to this day. Considering at the time that I was going through such an anxiety disorder brought on by undiagnosed obsessive-compulsive disorder, being called crazy and wondering if it was true made for some pretty miserable times in my life. Now, I'm a successful woman who runs her own business and is raising a young family. Through hard work at behavior cognitive therapy as well as medication, I am able to live a life mostly free of OCD and the symptoms of it, such as anxiety and depression. I used to hide the emotional and mental problems I'd been through in my life, but now I am very open and honest about it in hopes that I break down this crazy stigma. And I'm always floored by the amount of people, especially women who have had similar experiences and similar problems as me, but were too afraid to tell anyone or seek help for fear of being labeled crazy. Words can hurt and do a lot of damage and crazy is no exception. So thank you so much, Mandy, for sharing your story. I think it's very enlightening and I hope uh, some listeners out there take it to heart. Yeah, and thanks to everyone who's written in. MomStuffDiscovery.com is our email address. You can also message us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. 
You can also find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You and on Tumblr as well at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And last but certainly not least, we have a YouTube channel and you should check it out. It's YouTube.com slash Stuff Mom Never Told You. And don't forget to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.